You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 117, the Vice President of the United States. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we have talked and talked and talked about vice presidents, but they've never gotten their own office. The whole office itself has been kind of neglected, just like the office in real life, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, here we are to talk about the vice president. Yeah, I bet everybody who is downloaded this episode of Election College and they saw Vice President, they were really excited. It's going to be our least. It's going to be our least downloaded episode ever. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this wonderful episode of Election College, if you are still tuned in, you're basically awesome. So, welcome. So, what does the Vice President... I mean, what? how do they... How do they get there? What do they do? Do they like the president? Are are they like next in line? We're going to talk about all that. Yeah. And uh, it's changed quite a bit over the years. But officially, the vice president of the United States is the second highest person in the executive branch of the United States government. Yeah, and that's uh, given to them. That power is given to them under Article 2, Section 1 of our U.S. Constitution, which we're going to go a little more in-depth to in the future here. But basically, um, nowadays, the president and the vice president are elected together because of the way that nominations work and everything through the Electoral College. And if the president goes down for the count in one way or another, the vice president steps in. Yeah. It's so funny you say down down for the count because let's say the president goes under for surgery or something like that, then the VP, yeah, he or she becomes the chief executive for that moment. I just wonder, you know, if they have this list in their pocket, they're like, okay, as soon as I'm the chief chief executive, here's what I'm going to do. I've only got 15 minutes to do it. Yeah, <laughs> here goes. Well, hey, there's an episode I see in the last podcast. I referenced an episode of another podcast. And then, by the way, that is in the show notes from the last episode. In this episode, I'm going to mention there is another podcast that I also can't remember the name where they talk about the guy who, whenever they have like the uh, State of the Union address, the president and the vice president and all of the people who would succeed them afterwards are all in the same room. So they have one guy who might or might not be like affiliated with the government off somewhere completely different who is designated that if everybody, you know, something tragic, terrible happens, if everybody's gone, that person becomes the president and is in charge of everything. They have no training. They have nothing. There's nothing at all about them that is 
um, presidential other than that they are the person that's selected for that hour or so that the State of the Union address happens. So anyway, I thought that was really bizarre and interesting. Yeah, it is crazy because, I mean, God forbid anything were to happen like that, then how awkward and uncomfortable and just plain flat out weird would that be where you have this person who most of the population probably doesn't know who this person is. So it's, you know, right. Hey, it's Smin Bith. And, (laughs) and he is now the leader after this national tragedy. Take it away, Smin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit. We should probably talk about how the office came to be, huh? Yeah, that probably would be a little bit more interesting. Okay. Or maybe that was more interesting. I don't know. Our tangents are interesting to me. So I know, but uh, you have a new nickname, Ben. That's true. Smenbeth. So uh, basically, back in the day, during the old Philadelphia convention, they would give uh, presidential electors or vice presidential electors to the House and the Senate. But all the delegates were worried that, you know, all the electors would take the person who was the favorite person from their state and make them their candidate. And in the end, nobody becomes the clear winner. Yeah, you can imagine what that was like back in the day because Virginia was so powerful. Massachusetts Mm. was pretty influential. New York, very influential. But what about Maryland? What about Delaware? You know, North Carolina, some of those states that didn't have these big populations they mm-hmm. may have been small in size. They didn't. They just didn't have the say that a, a big Virginia or New York or Massachusetts had. So it's pretty important. And to this day, if you live in a smaller state, you can thank our founding fathers for thinking of you and really kind of evening off the playing field for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, the uh, in order to balance things out. Whoever gets the most votes becomes president. Whoever gets the second most becomes the vice president. And this is the way it started out, of course. And we've talked about that and everything. But the Constitution basically outlines the roles of the vice president and how they become the president, et cetera, et cetera. But to start out, what do they do? Like, what's their stinking job other than being the president if the president can no longer be the president? Is that a tongue twister or something? I, I think so. That's... okay. Oh, man, if we ever got a transcript of this episode, we might have to pay extra for that. (laughs) So the vice president is the president of the U.S. Senate. And that sounds really important. But what it comes down to is you are the tiebreaker. And we've talked about this where John Adams, probably our most chill vice president, chill because he was just deeply disappointed in the fact that there was such an office and that he was in that office. He was pretty important during those first several years of our current government. He cast 29 tie-breaking votes during his tenure. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, during the that time, Adams was also... Um, being able to protect the sole authority of the president to remove different people who were appointed to different offices. Uh, he helped influence the location of our nation's capital, which 
we all know that story and we'll go into it some other time again. And also, oh, I don't know, prevented a war with Great Britain, the largest superpower in the world. Another one that is. And um, yeah. Adams was Adams was pretty influential. So he was a good first one to have, I guess you could say. Yeah. And he was really good at perhaps deflecting some of the grief that might have happened <laughs> on Washington. So instead of blaming Washington, you know, maybe he had a policy that you didn't like. No way. Nobody would ever disagree with George Washington, right? <laughs> no. Well, of course not. They're just going to turn their attention to the vice president, John Adams, his rotundity, you know, the guy with the crazy hair. Put all the blame on him. Also in this time, um, the, this early time, early American time, the pre- the vice president was actually really involved in overseeing the Senate proceedings and whatnot. Now um, it's a little different. They they do proceed over them sometimes. There's a president pro tempore, and if the vice president isn't there, they're there in their place. But that's not the way it typically worked in the f- in the past. Yeah. So with the exception of the whole tiebreaker role that the vice president holds as president of the Senate, he or she doesn't really have that much of responsibility in the Senate. You know, you can go days, months, weeks, dare I say years, without really needing to show up on Capitol Hill. I I would think that you would want to on occasion, right? I suppose so. Otherwise, the only thing you're doing is out like kissing babies and stuff for four years. Uh, (laughs) um, Vice President Charles Dawes actually at one point said, once in four years, the vice president can make a little speech and then he's done. For four years, he then has to sit in the seat of silent, attending to speeches, ponderous or otherwise of deliberation or humor. So basically he's saying there's not a whole lot to do if you're the vice president. Yeah, you just wonder, like, you know, you see the guys standing up there in the State of the Union address, and they're sitting there. Oh, I better not yawn. I better not pick my nose, better not pick my eyes, better not pick my (laughs) ears, better not scratch. It's just kind of your role. You've got to sit there and look halfway decent and hope that you got the broccoli out of your teeth before the speech. Yeah, and occasionally uh, you have to give a really big round of applause or whisper in the president's ear if you're doing a press conference or something to make it look like you're all good to go. But, um, of course, the initial uh, idea behind it was to be the president of the Senate and to help balance each other because, um, you know, you want you want to have a chief executive, but you want somebody there to help be an advisor and to help uh, really spur things along when there's kind of a deadlock or only one person's opinion happening. Yeah. So hopefully the vice president is getting along well with the president. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because the vice president, as how many times am I going to say this? The vice president, this is probably the only thing I learned in high school history class, Ben, is Uh that the vice president is president of the Senate. And I'm just going to take that with me for the rest of my life that the vice president (laughs) is the president of the Senate because Uh he or she is the president of the Senate being the vice president of the United States. So in this role, this person presides over counting and presenting the votes of the electoral college. And the process, of course, we've talked about 
It occurs in the presence of both houses of Congress and happens in early January. And it's kind of crazy because there have been times where the vice president serving as president of the Senate has announced their own election to the presidency. (laughs) Well, uh, not only that, but uh, in 2001, Al Gore actually got to announce to everyone that he had lost the presidency and that George (laughs) W. Bush was president. So there's also the flip side of that, where not only do you get to announce you're the, the victor, but also that you are the loser. Yeah. Just wonder if that was one of the best days of Gore's life or the worst days. <laughs> I uh, This is a, a, an aside, but I, at one point, I think I've probably mentioned this before. It's just really humorous to me. heard Al Gore in a speech say, hi, I'm Al Gore. And I was one time voted by the majority of Americans to be the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. It is true. Yeah. And I hope he's not bitter. I hope that his I life feel like is it'd better. be hard not to be bitter, Jason. If I were if I were in that position, I feel like I'd probably be a bitter man. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard too many articles or news stories lately this year yet uh-huh. about how much of a crock the electoral college is. Of course We've talked about that, and we kind of get our name as a playoff of the whole Electoral College. But it's really interesting how the whole process works and how the vice president has such a big role. It's kind of like, you know, is the vice president the dean of the Electoral College or is he the, the chairman of the board? I don't know. Yeah. But the vice president is the president of the Senate. Well, it's good you remember that from high school. I'm glad. So, Jason, next we need to talk about secession, or succession, not secession. That's a different thing. We already had that episode. Uh, And the 25th Amendment. Uh, Basically, the Constitution says that if the president dies or becomes disabled while in office, or if they get kicked out of office for, you know, whatever reason, that all of their powers and duties are transferred over to the vice president. And at first they were like, well, is like, does that mean the vice president is still the vice president or are they like the new president or are they acting president indefinitely? And 1841 rolls around, William Henry Harrison dies and John Tyler's like, nope, I'm the president. And then from that point on, that was the deal. Like that's what happened. Yeah. Tyler really stuck his neck out there by saying that because there had been no precedent for that. And for him to just assert himself as, okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am not just acting president. I'm the president. I'm the the person in charge. Some people didn't like that, but the people who didn't like it had nothing to go against that. And the people who liked it said, well, hey, that sounds good. And Tyler was like, here I am. Call me Mr. Prez. So there have been nine vice presidents who have succeeded to the presidency as a result of Tyler's precedent that he had set. So go John Tyler. Remember that. He's pretty important. What about succeeding the president if he doesn't die, but he has to resign? Want to talk about Jerry Ford a little bit? Oh, man, that's a good one. This is crazy, Ben, because... Gerald Ford had not been elected as vice president, right? Remember that? Right. Remember yeah. Spiro? Yep. Yeah. So you've got Nixon. Woohoo! Go Nixon and Agnew. And they win in 1972. 
and all is going well until Spira Agnew, the VP, has to resign because, well, he's had some improprieties going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word for it. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of the right word and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. If, that, if that's a bad choice of words, then let's just say he had to resign because he was going to leave in disgrace some way. Right. Yeah. Kind of as a side note, Ben, did you know that he wrote in a book about how he thought or he was told or somehow it was believed to be that somehow somebody would do him in, like kill him if he wouldn't resign. Really? It's kind of crazy. That is kind of crazy. I think I would have resigned if I were him. Yeah. So anyway, he, (laughs) he was elected as vice president in 1972. By 1973, he resigns and Nixon says, hey, Jerry, get over here. You're my VP. Yeah. So... Gerald Ford becomes the VP, and of course, later, after the whole scandal and everything that happens, which, by the way, one of our best downloaded episodes is the episode on Watergate and uh, Nixon. But anyway, he becomes the president later on, having never been nominated or even voted for the office. But I digress. (laughs) That's kind of how things worked for him. Yeah. It's also interesting to note that among the vice presidents who become president mm-hmm. Ford does select a vice president. And it's kind of shocking actually to look through the history of our country and see how many times or how many years in the timeline of us history that there has been nobody in that role as vice president. But Ford was like, Nope, Nelson, get over here. You're my VP. Yeah, it's a little jarring how many times there have been nobody in that role. Now, of course, I know there'd be some sort of chain of command and everything, but uh, there's also the Section 3 of the 25th Amendment, which says that basically if the president is kind of incapacitated and they want to um, turn over the duties to someone else, that they should do so. And that's happened three different times. And one was when Ronald Reagan went under surgery and two times were when George W. Bush had colonoscopies, actually. So he was sedated, and um, they were like, all right, well, I guess the vice president is the acting president for like a minute. And that was like the most exciting minute of those pre- vice presidents' life. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, they have their little notebook, and they're like, okay, I got one minute. <laughs> Here goes. Do you, do you think there's somebody like sitting there looking at them, and one of the, one of the, president's advisors and every time they say how about we they just shake their head no at them yeah that's probably how i bet that's how it goes (laughs) so you know it's really interesting because we have talked a lot about how well let's just face it the role of vp has been considered throughout our history as a bit of a joke but in recent years vps have become much more influential and Probably the first person who comes to mind, and if you've watched any Saturday Night Live, Dick Cheney comes to mind because he was not only George W. Bush's close friend and advisor, he was his vice president, and it took the position to a whole new level. I don't think I had heard of any VP be spoken about as much as Cheney had. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even if you uh, look back at any old news reports or read anything, you see Dick Cheney's name mentioned much more than George W. Bush. Um, Al Gore was also pretty influential during the Clinton administration. Um, they didn't get along all the time, like we'll talk about later. But uh, basically, if there was something about foreign policy or the environment, Al Gore was the guy that Bill Clinton looked at. Yeah. So that brings us to a very interesting subject, Ben, because uh-huh. you wouldn't want two people from the same state to be president and vice president, right? That was the whole reason you have the establishment of the role of vice president. So you want to have people from different regions. You want to have people who may not agree on every single thing. And that's been the case. A lot of times now, vice presidents are chosen as kind of a balancing act to the president. Uh, You know, maybe one, maybe the president candidate seems a little harsh on these issues. So they pick someone for the vice presidency that's a little less harsh on these issues or in a state that doesn't like the president candidate, but they're really loyal to the vice presidential candidate. Sometimes it's, um, it's just purely political, or maybe it could be uh, policy that brings people together, but they don't always get along. Like they're not always best buddies like George Bush and Dick Cheney. Yeah. Yeah. One recent, more recent couple that comes to mind is Bill Clinton and Al Gore. I mean, these two guys, they're from the South, right? I mean, they're from neighboring states, even Tennessee and Arkansas. And Gore was like, I don't really agree with you, Bill, on some of the things you have done. And um, yeah, I uh, actually don't want you campaigning with me (laughs) when I run for president. Yeah. Yeah. And Bill Clinton was kind of taken aback, I guess you could say, or um, put off a little bit, I think, at the time by the fact that Al Gore really didn't return his phone calls, um, both literally and uh, metaphorically speaking. But uh, he just did not want him around. They they didn't get along super great. Um, Gore, as we've talked about in the past, was way more of a family man. And so I'm sure things happened in the Clinton administration that Gore did not quite see eye to eye on with Clinton. Um, There's lots of stuff, but yeah, they weren't, they didn't continue being close um, co-workers, I guess you could say during the election period for Gore. Yeah. And if you remember LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson and John F. Kennedy, I mean, could two guys be more different? Really, you had a Southern Democrat and a Northern Democrat in the 1960s. That was, well, I don't know. That that seems to be polar opposite to me. Yeah, and that also creates a lot of fodder for conspiracy theories for people. Um, definitely like to say that Johnson's disdain for Kennedy and vice versa led to Kennedy's death. Of course, we're not promoting that because, as we said, we're going with the official record for all the conspiracy theories. But... Uh, there was a lot of disagreements, and also there was just it was pretty known that JFK didn't really want Johnson to step on his toes. He, you know, I got this is kind of the the mentality I think there. Yeah, and even after Kennedy's death, LBJ and Robert Kennedy butted heads for a better part of the decade. Yeah, so it was 
definitely a situation where Johnson was a lot different than the Kennedys. And then before the Kennedys, you had Ike, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and Richard Nixon. They were pretty different. And I don't know if there was anything that was that the two were bitter. I mean, after all, Nixon's daughter married Ike's grandson. So, I mean, they're kind right. of family. Yeah. But it was just one of those things where mm, did Nixon really do anything <laughs> while <laughs> while Eisenhower was president? Well, and Eisenhower made that famous statement whenever asked about major contributions from Nixon. He said something like, "If you if you give me a week, I'll think of one." And basically, what he was saying was, "It'd take me a little while to figure out if he actually did anything worthwhile." But apparently, Nixon learned something uh, because when he became president. He didn't do a whole lot for Spiro Agnew. Um, Agnew was not really invited into the inner circle, even though he was in the inner circle. Yeah. I kind of liken that relationship with Agnew and Nixon as, you know, let's say you're 12 years old and you're playing with your toys with your friends in your basement and you guys are having a really good time and your younger brother or sister comes down and the party's over because <laughs> that that's what Agnew was like. He's kind of like the, hey guys, what you doing? I want to play too. And and the rest of the gang's like, oh, forget it. Yeah, we're done. Mm-hmm. And then we've talked about this so many times, my ears are bleeding over it, but John Adams and Thomas Jefferson didn't always get along. This one's a lot different because they were of different political persuasions. And that's the way things worked back in the day. You know, we, we've talked about that numerous times as well, but they were on opposite sides of the coin and both got elected and they just did not get along very well while they were in office. But years later, they became best buddies again. Yeah. That one is so interesting. You know, how many disagreements end up Resulting in an amendment to the Constitution. <laughs> it's like, True. <laughs> hey, hey, fella, I can't stand you, and I don't like the way this whole thing is set up. Somebody help us out. And alas, the states get together, and they're like, okay, here, let's change things a little bit. Can you imagine Jefferson right after, right when that election happened? He's like really excited that he just beat John Adams, and also at the same time really ticked off at Aaron Burr because Aaron Burr like competed against them and campaigned and tied with them. You know, it's yeah. like mixed emotions there. I just wanted to say Aaron Burr to hear you cringe. Yeah, I, I, I use that illustration on Agnew about the whole. You know, your friends are hanging out. Can you imagine how? much more intense that would have been with Burr. He walks into the room and everybody just scatters. Yeah. <laughs> you rascal. It's like he's the smelly kid on the playground. He is the smelly kid on the playground. So yeah, the vice presidency, I mean, I think John Adams, he said it well when he said, my country has in its wisdom contrived for me the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. And that's the way it was back then. It's not so much anymore. And, you know, this day and age, VP, they're pretty important, but still. They're still think about them every day. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I do think about every day, Jason? You think about Aaron Burr every single day. I know you do. I do. do. 
just to spite you. And I also think about his duel with Alexander Hamilton. And if you want to relive the moments, the very moments and words leading up to the duel between Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, you should check out our audiobook. Yeah, if you head over to electioncollege.com slash dueling letters, you will be taken to the Audible website where you can find out how you can listen to the dueling letters for free. Yeah, you can check it out for free if you don't have a subscription to Audible already. You get a free month trial, which it's a great service. We recommend it anyway. And if you do have a subscription, you can use your free book for the month to get our book, The Dueling Letters, or it's just under $4 and you even get a little bit of a discount if you're a member already. So like, it's totally worth it. Less than four bucks to support your old pals. And uh, we would totally appreciate that. And another way you can support your buddies, Ben and Jason, is to head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us so much to get the word out to more awesome people just like you. It's time to pay the piper, folks. You got 117 free issues of Election College sitting there. It's time to either leave a review or get the audiobook. You get to decide, or we're quitting. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. We totally love we're you, not. and thank we're you. We're here for you no matter what. <laughs> we totally love your support, and thank you for all the kind words you give on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, which you can also reach all of us at all of those places at Election College. And uh, we love interacting with you. Yeah. So we will see you next week, this same time and place. And uh, again, thank you for listening.